Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Sleuth Hounds, I want to spend one final week letting you in on an amazing new podcast. If you are looking for a new podcast to binge because you've already listened to every episode of Coffee and Cases at least once, maybe twice, here's a new one to check out. So let us suggest an amazing option for you, True Crime Creepers. Here's a little bit about them. Hey, peeps and creeps, let me introduce you to a new true crime podcast, True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from con artists to serial killers. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. No, really, she's heard none of them. Hey, (laughs) I guess that's true. Each week, Kristen tells me a new case with excellent victim centered storytelling. We laugh. We cry, we get scrunch face, but we always stay respectful of the victims and their story. While ruthlessly dragging criminals. Flaming them. <laughs> We've covered everything from con artist Anna Delvey, a personal favorite of mine, to unsolved crimes like the Austin Yogurt Shop murders. With a five-star rating on iTunes, go check us out because we're probably that true crime podcast you've been looking for. You can find True Crime Creepers wherever you get your podcast. New episodes every Thursday. Bye, peeps and creeps. Kristen and Mogab are not only fantastic storytellers, but as I've mentioned before, they are great people. And we all need to support good people like them. I really think that technology is both a blessing and a curse. I love that technology allows Allison and I to record together even when we're miles apart. The relief of knowing that by setting up a simple link, we're able to record each episode if we can't make meeting in person work really eases my mind. I love technology when I can FaceTime my mom when it's been weeks since I've seen her. I love technology when it allows me to connect with and teach my students after COVID-19 turned our schools upside down. I love technology when I'm driving in an unknown area and I'm magically provided with step-by-step instructions on where to turn. But I really hate technology when Allison and I are in the middle of recording and one of us gets kicked out of the session or when my computer won't allow me to have multiple tabs open at one time. It can be so frustrating to spend 30 minutes of our time waiting for the recording website to work properly. I hate technology when my mom doesn't have enough service to answer my calls. Living two hours away from her can be hard and we depend on our daily conversations to stay in touch with one another. I hate technology when I can't disconnect from my job. I hate that it keeps my work at my fingertips. I hate technology when there's a detour and my GPS can't figure out where to tell me to turn because I definitely can't read a map. What an amazing thing it is that we can chat with people from across the world, all thanks to technology. Technological advances help us put killers and rapists behind bars. It helps us give a name to Jane Doe but technology can also ruin our lives. When a GPS instructs a driver to take one wrong turn, the consequences can be significant. You could end up stranded, stuck in a ditch with no way to call for help. You could end up in an accident on a deserted gravel road. You could end up missing as you try to find your way to safety. One wrong instruction given by your GPS can change everything. This is the story of Jason Landry. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. 
We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, and to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, Allison, before jumping into the show, I wanted to take a minute um, just to thank all the people who have recently submitted new reviews for the show. I don't know if, um, like, you do this, Allison, but I definitely have, like, a nightly ritual where I check to see if we have any new reviews. Oh, yeah. Like, Rodney and I just had this conversation where he kind of insinuated that I'm a little bit obsessed with checking. Yeah. (laughs) kind of it's kind of a problem yeah and we've had like I think well there's been several but like um Jessica from Mississippi yours was super good we loved yours um Anna Anna Williams yeah we loved yours that was sweet and there's Uh, and then Elemento Pass yes yes (laughs) which is a clever name yeah there's so many um that we couldn't thank you all individually, even though I wish we could, but we really do um, thank you and we can never say thank you enough. We also want to take a second um, to thank each family member that has gotten back in touch with us regarding their family member's case. I know we talked about it in a previous episode, but Allison and I, you know, we rely heavily on these credible resources that we find during our research. So like news stations, the Charlie Project, things like that. But just as with anything, as time passes, information can be incorrectly shared. So it's super helpful to have family members input on all of these cases um, because we do want to represent each case with grace and dignity and input from those families, I think, help us achieve that. Absolutely. And we appreciate like you all sharing stories and information about your loved ones with us because I know, you know, those conversations can't be easy to have. Right. Um, the case we're talking about today is unlike most of the cases that we're used to that are normally like several years old. The one we're discussing today is only several months old. Oh. Yeah, so it is new. And I know that in each case that we discuss on here, like we always have the hope that, you know, someone listening will have information that help police in the investigation. But I feel like because this case is so new, that we really could make a difference and we could really help bring this young man home to his family. I hope so. But unlike many of the cases where we have like multiple suspects or theories, this case doesn't like really have a lot of that because this case isn't like, we can't say that he like is a victim of foul play. Okay. So So, part of the, double-edged sword is because it's so recent what we talk about could have an impact but then at the same time because it's so recent there isn't as much information yeah and like there's been like a lot of searching going on there's actually been quite a bit of evidence that's been found but like because of how this happens and what happens we can't say oh yeah he's definitely a victim of foul play like all we can say is he's missing okay yeah so we're going to discuss like i guess many theories of maybe what could have potentially happened to him but that's really the that's as much as the into the theories as we can get with this one okay so jason landry has been missing since december 13th slash maybe the early morning of the 14th 2020 because we don't know the exact 
time some of this took place. So, yeah, we're talking like seven months ago. Yeah, super early. Um, And his case is particularly puzzling for police, for his family, and for us as listeners. Because unlike many of our cases where we have like, you know, that definite sign of foul play, all we can conclude is that Jason is gone and there at this time is no evidence of foul play. From the outside, it really just seems like Jason has vanished into thin air. So like I said, it's my hope that after hearing his story, someone will have like a spark of inspiration or someone will have something that they can add so that we can find Jason and hopefully bring him home safe and sound. Okay, and Sleuthounds, if you have listened to um, the Bryce Les Pisa episode, this will sound um, kind of vaguely familiar to you because there are certain aspects that I thought sounded similar. Um, Allison, tell me if you think the same thing. Okay. So Jason was 21 at the time of his disappearance, and he had just finished up his first semester at the university that's in San Marcos, Texas. And he was super excited to be attending this university. He was working really hard toward being accepted into their sound recording technology program, which I guess is what this particular university was known for. Um, Okay. The kind of sucky thing for Jason is that he goes to this college and then COVID hits and, you know, he's kind of, I read that he was like quarantined twice because roommates like had been around someone that had COVID and, you know, so it just wasn't like a typical college College experience. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just like every student, Jason was living for winter break, right? He needed time to relax, time to recharge. And in his case, like time to be away from COVID-19 in a school setting. Yeah. So at 10.55 p.m. on December 13th, Jason left his apartment to drive the 165 miles to Missouri City, Texas. And like, you know, I first read that and I was like, what the heck? He's leaving at almost 11 o'clock at night. Right. But then I think back to when I was in college and like we were going to the tanning bed at like midnight or like, you know, we were (laughs) 11 p.m. was early. So it's not like he had super far to drive. So, you know, I don't think that it's weird that he left at 11 to drive two hours home because, I mean, he's 21. So, like, that's, like I said, pretty early for him, if I had to guess. Well, yeah, because most college students, if you're not a night owl, which I'm not, you kind of adjust your body to be that because Mm -hmm. you're up studying or you're up, you know, whatever. So you kind of fall into that rhythm where you're still wide awake around 11 o'clock. I am not anymore. Anymore, that cutoff is like 839. <laughs> I saw a t-shirt and it was like, I'm your ride or die until about 930 or so. <laughs> That's totally me. See, I am a night owl. I don't like, if my day could just start at like 11 a.m. or 10 a.m. and then I could just stay up until like midnight every night, then I would be fine. Because I can remember in college, I was like, oh, I could take like my first semester. I was like, I could take an 8 a.m. class. I live on campus. It takes me 10 minutes to walk there. Like, I'll be fine. That's what I'm used to in high school. And then like, I remember looking to the girl next to me and I'd be like, Brandy, do not let me fall asleep today. <laughs> like, I would fall asleep almost every day. Me across the head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in that like two to three hour frame that it would have taken Jason to get home, something must have gone horribly wrong because in those late hours, Jason's car was discovered um, by a volunteer fireman in the wee like morning hours of the 14th. So we're talking like in between like midnight and 1 a.m. Oh, and that is P.S. very fireman protocol, I think, <laughs> because like we have multiple times come across accidents and even though Rodney's retired now he's like I I have to go help like I it's like it's part of of him yeah it's like ingrained you know yeah there are several odd things that the fireman notices when he pulls up to the abandoned car and several odd things that we have discovered since so at first glance the man noticed that the lights on the car were still on, like the headlights were still on. The mm. keys were in the ignition. The front passenger's door was locked. 
but the driver's side was was unlocked and there was no sign of the driver. Okay, so if I am looking at that, I know like most cars, once you go over like a certain speed, all the doors lock, mm-hmm. even if, you know, they're all unlocked previously. So for only the driver's door to be unlocked would tell me that from my perspective that Jason had opened the door from the inside. Yes. Like he himself had opened the door. Yeah. Same. To get out. Right. Okay. Because even in my car, like when it's in drive or it's in park, if I open just my door, only my door unlocks. So that's also yep, what I took too. from that. Mm-hmm. We can kind of gather that the car had been involved in a single vehicular accident. So just Jason's car was involved in an accident. Okay. According to Dateline, his dad, whose name is Kent, got a call from a state trooper around 2 a.m. that his son had been in that single vehicle crash on a dark country road. And it was apparent to the investigators that Jason had overcorrected on this, like, country gravel road. And in the process, it looked like he had, like, hit a barbed wire fence and then, like, hit a tree. So, like, I think Trees he's... do not budge. Yeah, I think he's, like, kind of spinning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, disoriented, maybe. Yeah, and um, I reached out to a Facebook group called Missing Person Jason Landry um, and asked if the car was totaled because, like, in my mind, if it wasn't, like, later on, you're going to be like, well, why didn't he just drive away? But mm-hmm. the car was totaled from this accident. Okay. Well, like I said, trees don't budge. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Um, His dad told Dateline, quote, it's a call that every parent fears. It's our worst nightmare to know that our son is out there hurting and we can't fix it. But not knowing where he is or if he's okay, it's confusing and heartbreaking, end quote. Mm. The scene of the crash, right, because we can't call it the scene of a crime because we don't know if a crime took place. We just know there was a crash. That held very few answers. Troopers who responded to the scene found several of Jason's personal belongings, like, scattered outside the vehicle. Like, approximately, like, 900 Hmm. feet away from the car. Oh. And it was things like his backpack, his ball cap, toiletries, I guess he had, like, a beta fish that he was obviously bringing home because who would feed it while he was gone and he had it like in a tumbler thing and Uh that was like 900 feet away from the car and the beta fish was dead (gasps) okay so can i comment on several things yeah number one this is off topic but i'll say it anyway because um my little sleuth hound you know she prides herself when she um can teach me something Mm -hmm. and this is this has been years ago. Rodney and I were driving around and my little sleuth hounds in the back seat, and we were talking about betta fish and she goes, um, mommy, this is back when she called me mommy instead of mom. I'm very sad. That that's <laughs> but she was like, mommy, it's betta fish. And I was like, no, it's not. It's betta fish. And she was like, it's betta. And I was like, okay. You know, uh-huh. cause here she was like, I don't know, five or six at the time. I was like, no, it's betta fish. I've, I've heard it called betta fish. So I Googled it and I watched a video on YouTube and it was like the betta fish. Oh my God. Mispronounced as betta fish. And I was like, oh my goodness. So anyway, she like brings it up every single time <laughs> the betta fish is mentioned. So I thought I'd share. But second of all, that is super, super, super odd that his belongings were that far away. Because I feel like even if, let's say, a window were um, shattered, I would think if the car were totaled, then airbags would deploy, which blocks the windows. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't think that his items would be that far away unless he had crashed his car and he's like, in my mind, this is purely speculative, and he's carrying them, but then something happens to him, which would explain why they're scattered and so far away from his car because 900 feet. I mean, that's wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there'll be more about the items that I think may kind of help explain 
sort of maybe what why they're so far away from the car okay um in the reports that i read it looked like the backpack had like a small amount of marijuana like i even saw that it was called like a usable amount again whatever that whatever means. that means <laughs> yeah there was a laptop in his backpack you know per college kid and he had like his gaming system in his backpack so again like college college kid, kid. what about a cell phone do we know we do, and we'll talk about it here in a minute. Okay, okay. There are out there some reports that said that Jason had harder drugs or, like, a larger amount of marijuana in his backpack. Like, again, I don't think that that detail, like, it doesn't change the case any to me. Um, but law enforcement, like the sheriff's office, have come out and said, like, any report stating that the backpack was, like, quote-unquote, filled with narcotics is inaccurate. And they say the small amount of marijuana like has been seized and is being held. So even they say it's like a small amount of marijuana, which I think okay. for the normal college kid may be more typical than what we realize. Um, of course, as we've talked about on other episodes, you know, like there is the possibility that the weed could have been combined with some like hallucinogenic substance. Um, maybe that could explain like the assortment of personal belongings that were found and like so far away from the car, maybe he wasn't fully in control of his mind at the time. But police weren't the only ones to find personal effects of Jason spread over the scene of like the crash. His father, Kent, also went to the scene and he stated in an interview that I listened to that he made it there around 5 a.m. and that Jason's clothing, including a shirt, socks, shorts, underwear, slides, which is that like sandals, yeah, like um, like slip on, like you would wear in a shower, maybe as a college student. And like his uh, wristwatch were also about nine hundred feet from the crash site, like along the road. Hmm. Now, what is crazy about this is that investigators believe that he was wearing those clothes when the car crashed. They were like, "Oh, I know." And which changes things for me. But they were able Absolutely. to locate pictures of Jason that he'd taken earlier that same day, and he was in those clothes, like at least <gasps> the T-shirt. Okay, yeah, that it just took a weird turn for me. Yeah, because obviously he would have had clothes going home. Right. But yeah, it's completely different if he's wearing those clothes and then now isn't wearing those clothes. So there, like the only thing that I could kind of think of because there was no sign like the clothes had been removed by force. Um, there were like, there was like a single drop of blood that was found on one of the items. And that was like, not even enough to be like a fatal injury. Like they're saying like, this probably just happened like in the accident. So I'm wondering if maybe he changed clothes because he was trying to walk home and it's winter. So I wonder if he put on like heavier clothes. Oh, now that would make sense. Yeah. Cause like in a car, you have a heater. Yeah. That makes complete sense. That's a good speculation, I think. And his dad, we'll talk about in a little bit, like on into the case, kind of says something similar. And like I said, we'll talk about kind of what his dad thinks. Allison's okay. first responders did not enter the car when it was found, um, which I feel like was probably a good call on their half. They actually just went ahead and impounded it. Um, Jason's father actually entered the car before anyone else, and he discovers Jason's cell phone wedged in between the driver's seat and the center console. And, like, that's where my phone drops there so many times when I'm driving. Right. It's like, you're just, you're gone until I stop because, like, I can't, I can't oh. reach you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll be like you get your fingertips on it, and yeah. then it like, oh, nope, it yeah. shifts. Yeah. Just now kidding. I can't get it anymore. Yeah. What's weird to me, though, like about that is I feel like once he's fully stopped, you'd think then you could like adjust your seat to like get the phone out. Yeah, and I'm not so sure that Jason was fully aware of what was going on like I'm not saying because he was hallucinating from drugs I'll talk about it later on that maybe he had like head trauma from the car accident and maybe okay. he was just slightly confused well and let me say this so I've I've been in 
car accidents before, but only one where the car was totaled and airbags deployed. And those airbags are not soft. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you're hitting because we were hit by a truck and then launched into a tree. And that's why I know trees don't budge. Mm-hmm. Um, but the airbag deployed and it was like my head hit a pound of bricks. Well, don't they I mean, come out like super fast and that's yeah. part of the force there? Right. And I remember just holding my head and I was like, my head, my head. And it, you know, I, I was fine, but it, I was disoriented mm-hmm. for a little bit after. So I definitely think that's a possibility. What's good, though, is that when Jason's phone records were released, like, we were able to get, like, a pretty good sense of where and when he was on the road. Like, the biggest question is, why was he on this particular section of road when his route home shouldn't have included such a remote part of the road? Right? So, if you look Hmm. at, and we'll post this sleuth hounds for you guys but if you look at jason's route home like you can see it's pretty direct like he does have to like make a few turns to get on like different highways and interstates but it's not like just from the glance that i took it wouldn't be anything that was super crazy and you can see like he takes a definite detour that doesn't really look like it fits where he should be going huh jason was using the navigation app called Waze. As oh, he, I've used that before. Me too. And if, like, um, Sleuth Hounds, if you haven't used Waze, and this probably ages me, but, like, it's really similar to Google Map, but I like it, especially in, like, Central Kentucky. It's useless in Eastern Kentucky because I don't think anybody uses it. But, it, like, right. the users can update information. So, like, if I were to pass a police officer as Anthony and I are driving, I can put in ways that there's a police officer on the whatever side of the road. And then other people would know, like, I need to slow down through there. Or, like, there's an accident, take another route, like, that kind of thing. Like, even simple things like potholes in the road you can put on the Waze app. Right. So, I mean, I guess it could have told him, like, maybe there's road construction. I wouldn't say traffic because obviously he, it's super late slash early. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't think there would be much traffic. But I know a lot of times, at least here in Kentucky, on the interstates, they do road work mm-hmm. overnight so that it doesn't impede travel as much. So maybe he had notification that there was going to be, like, road construction and then maybe decided to take this rural path instead. Yeah, many believe that Waze actually rerouted Jason in Luling, Texas, and that he got just lost on this, like, lightly traveled, really dark road, and that in the process of him trying to, like, get turned around, because I think he realized he was going the wrong way, something happened that made him wreck his car, Um, But we are going to retrace together the steps of his journey to see what we can piece together. Okay. And again, we know this from the app. Yeah. I guess because he was using Waze, he had like a pretty significant digital footprint. That's awesome. Yeah. This makes me want to use like Google Maps, like everywhere I go in case something were to happen, like people could figure out where I was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's way better than like calling somebody and being on the phone when they're a hundred miles away. Yeah. You've the app open, they know where you are. Yeah. So we know on December 13th at 10.55 p.m., Jason left his apartment in San Marcos with the intent of driving to his parents' home in Missouri City, Texas. Okay. At 11.05, Jason drives his vehicle on Highway 80 and passes under I-35 in San Marcos. So we're on our way. All good. Yeah. yeah. At 11.07, so two minutes later, Jason continues to drive south on Highway 80, entering Caldwell County, which is where Mm -hmm. Luling is located. Okay. At 11.11 p.m., Jason is in Martindale, Texas, continuing south on Highway 80. So he's going the way he should be, and it's taking him like the proper amount of time. To get from these places. At 11.15, Jason passes over State Highway 130 on Highway 80. So, again, right where we need to be. 
Mm-hmm. At 11.24 p.m., Jason enters Luling, Texas on Highway 80. At this point, he stops using the Waze app and opens Snapchat. Okay. Uh, but if he's taking an alternative route, maybe not the time to be opening Snap. First of all, you're driving. Well, I don't know if maybe he stopped and was like at a gas oh, station okay. and he closes ways and opens Snapchat when he's like in line. We'll give him the benefit of yeah. the doubt then. So he passes through the intersection of Magnolia Avenue and East Austin street. And that's where Jason's digital footprint stops. So it's believed he continues on East Austin to Spruce street and then turns into salt flat road, which is where the car accident happens. So at 12.31, Jason's wrecked vehicle is spotted on that road. See, that seems odd to me, though, because if this is not the direct route home, then it would have to be a road that he's familiar with, because that would be the very time that I would have my Waze app open. Well, I think going through Luling is on the way home. I don't think turning on to this salt flat road is the way home. Like, I think he had to go through this town to get onto, like, an interstate or something like that. But he mm-hmm. takes that random turn onto this road. We believe that he crashed his vehicle somewhere between, like, 11.30 p.m. on Sunday and 12.30 a.m. on Monday. So, that's why I said, like, it's either late on the 13th or early on the 14th that okay. he's missing. Okay. So, some things that I noticed right away that I think, like we should discuss Mm -hmm. and kind of help us better understand or speculate things that could have happened. Notice that Jason has only been driving around 30 minutes when he entered Luling Uh, from another podcast that covered Jason's story called true crime chronicles. It seems that Luling, they made it appear to be like a busy town. I don't think it's like a giant town, but I think it would be a place where like people would stop for gas or snacks kind of as they're passing through. So like mm-hmm. Salyersville, if you're on like the mountain parkway. Right. It appeared to be a town where like bull truck drivers and I'm not sure like what the proper terminology is for that. But in Eastern Kentucky, we have coal truck drivers. So I just assume right. in Texas, they're known as ultra drivers. <laughs> that's what I was. I think that's a good assumption. Okay. So you they, can let us know if we're wrong, yeah. but I, I'm going to go with you, Maggie. I defer to you. <laughs> but they would have been passing through. Um, and I did ask this Facebook group, the missing person, Jason Landry group, if the town would have been like busy at all hours or if around 11 30 p.m. the town would have been more quiet because like in my mind if the town is busy even that late at night you know maybe Jason stopped for a snack and was followed or chased down this gravel road because like I have to have something to snack on when I'm driving to my parents and it's about a two-hour drive so maybe Jason was the same and this is like the most convenient place to stop and something happens and he's chased because many are. Yeah, I didn't even think about that because that would explain why he would turn down a road that he didn't really know. Exactly. And many people do believe he stopped somewhere because the pictures that were later released of him appear to have been taken in like some type of gas station. And he's in that shirt that we would later find at the scene of the crash. Do you think that was a Snapchat? picture because i'm thinking why else would you take a, a selfie in a gas station i think it i think so and like okay we'll also put the picture up on facebook and it just looks like you're taking a snapchat picture it's not like superposed or anything and it's kind of up mm-hmm. close of him okay but the people through this facebook group said that um you know luling is a small town um they didn't really go into detail about like actual luling but said that where the accident occurred would not have been highly traveled okay so the second weird thing to me is there is a 67 minute window that passes between jason's last digital footprint and the discovery of the car and i think if we could figure out what happened in that time frame we would find out what happened to jason Right? Right. That's a long time. Yeah. That is a long time. We know that his car hit a barbed wire fence 
because police are able to determine that the single drop of blood on his shirt happened during this accident. We Okay, also, so it was Jason's blood. It was. And we okay. also believe that Jason, you know, hit a tree in his in the accident because his back bumper had like pieces of wood in the bumper. There was no paint from another vehicle to make us think that this was like a multi-vehicle accident. Mm-hmm. Police determined that Jason would not have suffered fatal injuries from his accident. So, again, like, one, where's Jason, obviously. And then right. my next question is, like, why the heck are clothes everywhere? Other than, like, what you said, I mean, maybe he's disoriented. Mm-hmm. Maybe, or on the opposite end of the spectrum, maybe he's with it enough to realize, okay, it's December. I'm going to have to walk somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I do need to put on warmer clothes. Like you mentioned. Yeah. And Jason's father kind of talked about um, something very similar. So he stated in that podcast interview, you know, Jason could have been suffering from head trauma. We know that the injuries weren't fatal, but there's no way of telling if he suffered from a head injury because we don't have Jason. So if that were the case, you know, maybe he was confused and changed clothes before he set off on foot. His dad, which this is, I think is a good point. I'm not sure the weather in Luling, Texas in, you know, mid-December, but said perhaps Jason was suffering from hypothermia. So remember in the dialogue past we, episodes, we talked about this, like people actually start taking their clothes off because they feel like they're hot when hypothermia sets in. And 67 minutes would be enough time for hypothermia to set in oh absolutely so i just googled and about um hypothermia Mm -hmm. i didn't even know this there is hypothermia which is what we know of with colder temperatures and hyperthermia yeah where you get too hot right Mm -hmm. um but hypothermia really doesn't have to do with necessarily the outside temperature, but your body's temperature. And if it gets lower than 95 degrees, that's considered hypothermia. So I wouldn't think it would take that that much. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Learn something new. What many don't understand is Jason's phone. So, remember, his father found his phone in between the driver's seat and the center console. The phone, when it was found, was charged, and Jason would have had service on that road. So, why didn't he call for help? Right. I mean, again, if he has a head injury, you know, we can assume that he likely would not have had the cognitive ability to realize, you know, hey, my phone's in the car, I can use my phone. Hmm. Yeah, that would be the only thing I could think. Mm -hmm. Some others may question how Jason got lost in the first place as he's likely, so if we're saying, right, that he's driving through this town and he takes a wrong turn, people are like, how the heck would he have taken this wrong turn? Because Mm -hmm. he's made the trip before. He went home for Thanksgiving, so that's like less than a month before he went missing. But what I don't think people realize, especially if you're not from like a country area. Do you want me to say the R word? Yeah. From a rural area. Rural. (laughs) Rural. (laughs) Um, Is like how different roadways can look in different circumstances. 100%. Like I know from personal experience, one, when I went home with Anthony this past Christmas to Eastern Kentucky, First off, should not have been driving because couldn't even see the road because there was so much snow on the road. Mm. But, like, I had no idea where I was, like, location. Like, I mean, I knew I was on the Mount Parkway. But, like, I had no idea, like, what town I was close to or anything because of Mm -hmm. the conditions on the road. Mm -hmm. And then, like, if you're traveling at night on, like, an isolated road, it's not like... You're driving in downtown Louisville where there are street lamps that light your way. (laughs) Or road signs. Yeah. Like the road is literally dark. There may be like 
a house with a light on in the window, but like, Mm -hmm. that's really going to be it. So even if you're familiar with the road, that when it's daylight outside, doesn't mean that you're familiar with that road when it's nighttime. Right. Like intersections sneak up on you, exits sneak up on you. And if you aren't paying close attention, it can be really easy to just take the wrong exit or take the wrong Mm -hmm. turn. That the case with Jason, like all those times he traveled, had it been like earlier in the day? So his dad said that each time Jason had traveled home would have either been during the day or during the evening. So he never would have been on that road at nighttime. And Kent, his father, goes on to say that there were reports of traffic lights not working correctly in town. And if that were the case, getting turned around would be even easier to do. Yeah. So, I mean, while Jason was familiar with the way home, I don't know how familiar he would have been in Luling at night had he gotten lost himself, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is also the possibility that his GPS system took him down the wrong road and he ended up on that salt road that way because I know like okay Kentucky problems but um, the road that I drive to my mom and dad's house there was a sinkhole which is one of my worst fears Mm -hmm. on the road that happened so there was a detour okay well we had Sprint slash T-Mobile at the time And I had zero service. Well, I'm, you know, obviously knew that there was going to be a detour. So when I'm in civilization where I have service, I put the address to my mom's in so it can take me on this detour. It keeps telling me that it's wanting to take me up this single lane gravel road up a mountain. That I no thank you. Yeah, no thank you. And I can clearly tell like that has been like a coal mine or something. Like that's a coal truck road that's not like Mm -hmm. county road and so then because I didn't take that it could not reroute me because I had no service oh so so it's just like gray screen basically yeah yeah. and like I'm I can't read a map and so like I'm oh I know weeping yeah like we've talked before it'll say like in 200 yards and I'm like I have no idea in my head like I'm how far that not is. Christopher Columbus. I cannot right. tell you how yeah. far that is. Yeah. <laughs> so like I've relied almost too heavily on my GPS and like I trust mm-hmm. it the majority of the time. And Kent, Kent said the same about Jason. So much like me, Jason would have followed his GPS just about anywhere, especially if it's dark outside and you're not 100% sure of where you're at. Right. So there have been several reports of this happening. So, like, this isn't, like, the first time this has ever happened and, like, something bad has happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, In an article called Jason Landry, Texas Student Missing After Wrong Turn on His Way Home for Christmas, um, there was a similar incident where a teenager actually froze to death, and this is in Russia, I believe, like, after his GPS took them on a wrong turn they got stranded and they were like on i can't even remember oh yeah it's called like the road of bones oh oh gosh the last road i would want to turn (laughs) off (laughs) and i guess the temperature dropped and something happened that they got like a flat tire and so they were literally stuck here because their gps took them the wrong way and one of them died from hypothermia and the other one just like happened to miraculously survive wow because in the same with jason like they were toasty in their car right right driving because it's heated but Mm -hmm. once they ran out of gas or they had to get out of their car like it was literally negative 50 degrees celsius there like it's gonna be cold hypothermia is gonna set in Mm-hmm. very quickly so like we've talked about before um investigators nowhere that i have found have stated that this is a case of foul play um, because the investigation is ongoing if jason was a victim of foul play 
I don't think that the motive would have been robbery. Oh, yeah, because all of his stuff was laptop. Yeah, his gaming system. Yeah. His wallet. His phone. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, the car itself. I mean, I know it's totaled, but you could, like, I'm sure get something. Yeah. So the search for Jason is still ongoing. Police have used dogs, horses, sonar, helicopter. They've recruited hundreds of volunteers. Ponds have been drained. Oil fields have been examined. I'm in an article called Texas State Student Jason Landry is Still Missing a Month Later. Um, One of the family friends named Heather shared on Facebook that, like, dogs had tracked his scent to a nearby abandoned house. This was literally the only article that I saw that in, though, so I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if that was just, you know, rumor at the time. Um, But obviously nothing was found there. Tracking dogs did pick up his scent, um, and it indicated that Jason had headed toward Luling on foot when he disappeared, and the scent lasted about a quarter of a mile, like, from the crash site, and that's when the scent just stopped. So, was it possible? Well, so he could have been picked up by somebody? Yeah. Especially if that's, like, a trucking area, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And, I mean... This would be a sad scenario, but if he did suffer from some head head trauma in the accident, I mean, it could honestly be the case that he doesn't know. Like who he is. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think is heartbreaking. I do too. Thousands of concerned citizens and investigators they have all pitched in to try to find jason since he went missing search and rescue efforts lasted for nine days like initially and then there was like a three-day search um, in late february and the podcast so again not long ago mm-hmm. in the podcast i listened to it stated investigators couldn't exactly say what they found in this three-day search in february but they did say they're passing the information along to the sheriff's office, which is, that's the, like, entity that is doing the case In charge right of, yeah. Mm-hmm. And their hope is that it will either help them find Jason or rule out where he is not. Okay, well, that's hopeful. Yeah. And the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office, and, like, later on, I refer to it as CCSO because that's, a lot to type and that's what it referred to them online Mm -hmm. said you know jason's family has been cooperative his ex-girlfriend has been cooperative and helpful there are no suspects or persons of interest in this case there's no evidence um to indicate that a person of interest would have been involved in the incident Mm -hmm. hundreds of hours of surveillance videos from in and around Luling have been reviewed. None have offered up any evidence. The sheriff's office is urging citizens in that area. If you have cameras on your private property, like even like those cameras that like track deer or whatever, like out in the middle of your 200 acre farm, Mm -hmm. they're urging you um, to look through those because If he's on foot, he could have wandered anywhere. Right. They're continuing to ask for the public's help in this case and provide any details that could contribute at all to the investigation. Um, And if, Sleuth Hounds, you're from that area and something has pinged your interest, they're asking you to call Detective Jeff Ferry with the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office at 512 398-6777 at extension 4516. So, like, really, that's all we have. Well, let's just hope that somebody listening recalls something, uh, knows somebody from the area, passes it along. I mean, again, even if, if somebody saw somebody fitting Jason's description, hitching a ride. Or, or whatever it is or that like, can just help this family. Or like in a hospital or like, right. you know. A homeless shelter. Yeah, that they're kind of confused and don't know who they are. Maybe mm-hmm. that could be Jason. Mm-hmm. Jason's father is a pastor and he says every night he says this prayer. Quote, that Jason comes home safe and sound with a story I can't wait to hear. End quote. 
I think we all have that prayer for Jason as well. We all hope that he will turn up at home with a crazy story about how his GPS advised him to take a wrong turn and he ended up totaling his car against a tree. And as he walked home, he got confused and lost, but he finally figured it out and figured out who he was and where he needed to be. We hope for the best. We hope the more Jason's story is shared, the chances of him coming home will grow. In an interview that I heard Kent give, he said something that I think we could all learn from. He said that because no one knew Jason's passcodes, that they are unable to get into his phone or laptop. He urged everyone to share your passwords and codes with an uncle or a cousin in case something like this were to happen to you. He feels those items may hold valuable clues to finding Jason, and at this time, those clues are hidden safely away in Jason's phone. It's my hope that one day... This missing person is found. Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Or you can always email us suggestions to Coffee and Cases Podcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next next week. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.